Welcome to Shekinah International Podcast. Our ministry reflects the five-fold ministry model Apostle Paul mentions in Ephesians 4, 11, and 12. Our podcast features leaders from multiple churches who are passionate about equipping Christians just like you to walk in purity and power, fulfilling your God-given purpose. God wants to do great exploits through you, so enjoy today's podcast. So as I prepared for the message today, I was asking the Lord, as always, Abba, what do you want to say to your people? You know, he began to lay this idea of perfect peace on my heart. The perfect peace of God in my heart. Now, James says it's one of my friends that will be coming um, here to Lansing on May 31st, and he did this picture, and I recently put it on my computer um, as my screensaver. I changed my screensaver, and I had a different picture on there. And I love this image. If you look at this woman's face, you can see the woman and the dove and the incense going up her prayers to the Lord. And it says, Shalom. Nothing missing. Nothing lacking. And nothing broken. And we know that Shalom means peace, right? In Hebrew, Jerusalem. But this idea of nothing missing, nothing lacking, nothing broken, this is what every single one of us wants, amen? This is what we strive for. Most of us try to attain that pre-Christ through circumstances by getting the right house, the big house, the car, the job, the clothes, the kids, right? The right circumstances, the right friends, the right circle, the right influences, the right Instagram photo filter, right? The right Facebook page or post, the right number of friends on Facebook, right? The right vacations. But in the kingdom, shalom is about internal peace. It's an internal spiritual peace. It is a circumstantial peace. There's blessing that comes with it. There's favor that comes with it. There's financial blessing that comes with it. But ultimately, if we have all those external circumstantial things and we don't have that internal peace of God or what what I like to refer to as the rest of God, where actually we don't have shalom. We've got a temporary peace, right? So I get this image in my mind when I was thinking about this term and that picture of the eye of the storm. You've heard it said that when a tornado comes, you can literally stand in the center of the tornado and everything is still, everything is quiet. There's no debris flying through it, right? Because it's cyclical. So one, in theory, can stand in the center of a storm while everything swirls around in absolute complete chaos and not be affected at all. John 16.33 says, I have told you these things so that in me, everybody say, in me, me. you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. You just don't have it. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Come on, somebody. Jesus said, you will find peace in me. So if we kind of do a prophetic parallel about the eye of the storm and in this verse that we just read about Jesus in him, he's the center in the source. He's that place of stillness. He's that place of quiet. He's that place where you can stand in him and all the debris of life can be whipping around your head, being ripped up out of the ground, everything being uprooted, torn apart, broken down. But if you stay in him, 
you will experience that perfect peace. This idea of the simple gospel oftentimes escapes us as believers. We talk about this verse of sometimes I think we miss the depth, the reality, the strength that's in it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. As I reread that this morning, I was thinking about this analogy of the storm and standing in the center of the storm, whoever believes in him. That jumped off the page at me today. Because we all have storms. Lord knows what's going on here in America and really all across the world with this COVID situation. We're seeing the winds of the world whip around us. We have an opportunity to remain in him. John 6, 29 says, Jesus answered, and this is the context of it. They asked him, what must we do to do the good works that God requires, right? Well, I was asking that, God, what do you want me to do? I found myself, even in this circumstance with everything going on, and some personal circumstances that are going on, what else do you want me to do? Is there anything else you want me to do? Do I need to pray? Do I need to say? Do I need to write? Do I need to what? What do you want me to do? Do I reach out? Do I not? Do I, do I hug? Do I not? Do I speak? Do I not? Right? You know, e, 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 e. it's like a stutter step. We want so bad to be busy. We want so bad to do something. And sometimes God is saying, I want you to be still. And I'm going to show you that I am God. The scripture says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted above the nations. It goes on in 629. And it says, this is the work of God. The work of God is this, to believe. The simple gospel is this, to simply believe. Believe in the one that God has sent. And I love this. The simple gospel, you believe in his son, he was sent to save you and to sustain you in the troubles that we will have here on this earth. And we're literally a new creation, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. And we talk about this here all the time. You're, you have an advantage that other people in the world do not have. You are created after the prototype, the Son of God, the firstborn among many men. Jesus came and dwelt among us. He was born into the flesh, yet flesh like we did, tempted in every way, yet was without sin. You are born after the prototype. That means there's, if there's a prototype, there's other types that have been made. And guess what? Look at your neighbor and tell them you're, you are made after the prototype. What he did, you can do. What he did, you can do. And that is the truth. What Jesus did, you can do. The way he walked, you can walk. The way he talked, you can talk. The way he prayed, you can pray. The miracles he did, the signs and wonders he saw, you can do. Not because of who you are, but because you're in him. Come on. As I was reading these verses, he started to point out to me that there's promises that come with the simple gospel, right? And here are just a few. 
Things you'll never have to worry about. When the winds of the world are whipping around you, you're never going to have to worry about these things. It says, then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. You never have to worry about going without food. Because God said, though he's never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. Proverbs, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. You're never going to go without food. You're not going hungry. Daddy feeds the birds. He's faithful to feed the birds every day. Will he not take care of you? He says, don't worry about what you're wearing. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. You're going to be all right. I want to carry you. You will never go hungry. And he who believes in me will never be thirsty, right? So there's that practical hunger and that practical thirsty, but there's the spiritual hunger and the spiritual thirst as well, right? So you're never going to be physically hungry, but you're never going to be spiritually hungry, right? And not be fed. Because blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Because he's a good father. Amen. It goes on to say, but as I told you, you have seen me and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, he says another promise. I will never drive away. The Lord will never drive you away. He's not going to drive you away when you're mad. He's not going to drive you away when you don't understand. He's not going to drive you when you away when you are different than the other people around you. You don't seem to fit in and they don't understand your gifts. The Lord will never drive you away. He's not going to drive you away when you feel ashamed. He's not going to drive you away when you fail. He's not going to drive you away when you make a mistake. The Lord will never drive you away. He goes on to say, For I have come down from heaven not to do my will. Come on, Jim, Jim prophesied this earlier. But to do the will of him who sent me. It's all about daddy's will. It's all about daddy's will. That I shall lie. That I shall lose none. The reason God asks us to obey his will, the will of the Father, is because he is perfect love. He knows all things. He sees all things. He has set things into order. He is all-powerful. He is all-loving. And it is his desire, the whole purpose. Why? And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none. None of those that he has given me. Come on, somebody. But I shall raise them up on the last day. Sunday is coming. Get those days where you just want to be like Paul. It's better to be separate from the body and with the Lord. It was better for you than I'm here because I have work to do, amen? So that we might lose none. But I love that idea. Sunday's coming. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up. So those promises, you'll never go hungry, you'll never go thirsty, you'll never be driven away from him. And he will never lose you. No one can snatch you out of his hand. No one can thwart your destiny. No one can take you out of the presence of the Lord. Amen? Begged me to pray about this. I was like, well, Lord, how can we keep our peace, right? How, how, how do I explain it to people? Because when I'm going through things, sometimes people make comments, right? You know, they see you grow, they see you mature, they see you come through some stuff. I'm like, how do you manage that? What does that look like? How did you get from here to there, from where I am to 
And this is one of my favorite verses. I'm going to read you the context here in a minute. The title of this in Isaiah 1, 1 through 20 is To a Rebellious Nation. Can anybody say America? America. I'm just saying. And we often quote the first half of this verse. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the good things of the land. But we don't quote the full context of it. It goes on to say, but if you resist and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. That's the full context of that verse. If you resist and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. And sometimes we wonder why circumstances in our life are what they are. And sometimes they're a result of the sin of others in our life. Your sin never just affects you. It always affects everyone in relationship with you. Right? I'm going to read this as anyone. I just feel like this is a prophetic word for our nation, to be completely honest with you. Hear, O heavens, listen, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I reared children, and I brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows his master, the donkey is owns manager, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Ah, sinful nation of people loaded with guilt, a brood of evildoers, children given to corruption. They have forsaken the Lord, and they have spurned the Holy One of Israel and turned their backs on him. Why should you be beaten anymore? And I, I hear a loving tone in God's voice when he says this. Why do you persist in rebellion? Your whole head is injured. Your whole heart is afflicted. From the sole of your foot to the top of your head, there's no soundness. In other words, you have no peace. And yet you still rebel. Only wounds and welts and open sores not cleansed or bandaged or soothed with oil. Your country is desolate. Your cities burned with fire. Your fields have been stripped by foreigners right before laid waste, as when overthrown by strangers. The daughter of Zion is left like a shelter in a vineyard, like a hut in a field of melons, like a city under siege. Unless the Lord Almighty had left us some survivors, we would have become like Sodom. In other words, here in America, if, unless the Lord had left a remnant, we would have become like Sodom. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah, the multitude of your sacrifices. What are they to me? says the Lord. I have more than enough burnt offerings and rams and fat and fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls or lambs or goats. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing me meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable me. My new moon, Sabbaths, and convocations. I cannot bear your evil your new moon festivals and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my face from you, says the Lord. Even if you offer many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Come on. Come on, church. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Encourage the oppressed. Defend the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they will, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. If you are willing and obedient, 
The context, the entire context of this verse is to someone, a nation that is in absolute and complete rebellion against the Lord. And he loves them so much. He says, in the midst of all their sin, in the midst of Sodom and Gomorrah, in the midst of their absolute rebellion, in the midst of their sacrifices trying to please him, that they did not have a non-hypocrisy heart in their motive. He says to them, come and reason with me now. And I feel like God is saying that to some. Some who have walked away from the church, some who are in our nation, some who maybe were in the church when you were young but you fell away. Come and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, I'm not going to pretend that your sins are a hot mess because they are, but though they are, they shall be white as snow. That's a prophecy. The Lord is saying, I have a plan for them. Come on, somebody. They shall be as wool if there's the condition. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the best of the land. But if you resist to rebel, you will be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Mm -hmm. I came in early today and I was listening to Pastor Max who shared, and I said, whoa, he was talking about Ananias and Sapphira. And I was, and how they died, they did a Offering, but the offering was given in hypocrisy. And I was sharing with him a sermon heard by, I can't remember if it was Joseph Prince or if it was Castellan, but just the idea that Peter must have been in shock when that happened because the Lord was so merciful to him. He was so merciful to him. Peter literally denied the Lord. He said, I will die with you, Lord, right? And then he denied the Lord in the Lord's time of greatest need. And the Lord completely restored him. And not only did he restore him, but he gave him a leadership position, right? So Ananias and Sapphira come up and they lie about the offering. And I would think, I'm assuming, but I would think that Peter, having received so much grace himself, was thinking, this the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, we're baptized in the Holy Spirit. God is going to be gracious to this individual, right? Is that how much you pay for the house? And in hypocrisy, wanting to look like all the others around them. Yes. He will never die right there. We as a church, we want the glory of God, but with the glory of this, we have to, with the glory comes severity. We have to remember this both a kindness and a severity of God. And Pastor Chris pointed out something so beautiful I never thought of this morning. He said he actually had to take them home. Because the move of Holy Spirit at that time was such a great outpouring that had that not happened, the fear of the Lord would have never been on the church. The church would have been compromised from the beginning. Because that would have seemed okay. That would have been deemed all right by the Lord. And I believe this Pentecost, we are coming into that season again, the season like Acts, when this is the hour that we are coming into again. Where both the kindness and the severity of God is going to be shown. Arms are going to be grown out. Eyes are going to be popping and legs are going to be growing. Right? New lungs, new livers, new kidneys, skin diseases healed. Fibromyalgia healed. Closed wounds open. God is going to do miraculous, miraculous things. We've seen tons of signs, but miraculous is coming as well. We've gone in cities and we prayed and we've seen the enemy's mouth shut. We've seen leaders removed. Sign after sign after wonder after wonder after wonder. God is good and he does it all the time. He has not changed. But when he pours out, when that harvest comes in, the love of God is so prevalent with the severity of God. He's in our midst. 
And he doesn't do it to harm. He doesn't do it to heart, hurt. He doesn't do it to judge. He doesn't do it because he's unkind. He does it because he loves that, that individual so much and he loves the church so much that he cannot allow it in our midst. We are under a new covenant. Jesus paid the price for our sin. Jesus literally took our devouring sword. So if we are in sin, or if we have fallen short, it's, it's as simple as repenting immediately. If we've compromised, if we missed the mark, Father God, forgive me. Immediately, as soon as he shows you, as soon as the Holy Spirit shows you, right? And then committing ourselves to say, we're not going to operate in hypocrisy. I'm not going to try to be something I'm not in the presence of others to make it look like I'm holier than I am. I am where I am. I am where I am, and it's okay. Because this is part of my journey. Christ in me, the hope of glory. He's the prototype. I'm being made into that very same image as I behold him. And I'm transformed into this image with ever increasing glory. Faith, faith, glory, glory. Amen. We literally only need to be willing. Jesus gives us the grace. Jesus gives us the strength. Jesus gives us the courage and the power to be obedient. That's our part right there. We only need to be willing. Our part is to be willing. If you are willing, the scripture goes on to say, and obedient. But the truth is, part of you, you don't think, right? Jesus gives us 100% of the grace to get it done. Our part is to be willing. Jesus' part is to give us 100% of the grace and the power and the courage, whatever it is that we need in that moment to overcome, whatever it is that we're facing in that time of struggle. That's why in the storm, it's in him. We stand in the center of who he is. We stand in the center of the fullness of our inheritance. We stand in the center of his finished work on our behalf, and we draw from that finished work. And we're able to stay and be still and keep our peace and experience shalom while everything is whipping around our heads until the storm passes. What an honor. What an honor. What a privilege. 1 Corinthians 1.30 says, He is our wisdom. It's the Lord that gives us power to love our enemies, according to Ephesians 3.17-19. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Then you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have power, together with all the saints, to comprehend. To comprehend what? The length and the width and the height and the depth of his love. What's the power for? To comprehend his love. His love for you, for me. His love that he wants to flow through us to others. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to all the fullness of God. Come on. We don't talk about that sometimes. We're like, yeah, I just want to be filled a little bit. I want to be filled enough to get into heaven. No. Daddy says so that you can be filled with all the fullness of God himself. Just see us. Stop and think about that for 10 seconds. He gives us 
of our bravery. It says the Lord is our bravery. Habakkuk 3.19 in the Amplified Version. It says the Lord is our strength. The Lord God is my strength, my source of courage, my invincible army. We just talked about this a couple months ago. He has made my feet steady. He makes us steady when we feel like we're going to fall over. It's sure, like hinds feet, it makes me walk forward with spiritual confidence. He is our confidence. We don't have to wonder or worry or be insecure or try to vie for position. He's our confidence. We're good. I know who I am. I'm a daughter of the king. I'm a son of the king. I'm a man. I'm a woman of God. Like Elijah said, if I am a man of God, if I am a woman of God, I know who I am. I'm a daughter, I'm a son, I'm a child. I'm a called one. Come on, somebody. Amen. Amen. And I love this. He makes my feet walk forward with spiritual confidence on my high places of challenge and responsibility. So we're back to the storm. He steadies us, he strengthens us to stand. To stand. We literally are being trained to be like Jesus. All the fullness of God dwelled in him. Amen? And God wants all the fullness of himself to dwell in us. We're called the ambassadors of Christ to reconcile to God. This is supposed to be the new normal. Jesus was, in fact, the Son of God. And God loves us so much that he gave his life, his life, Jesus. Jesus freely gives us now through the Holy Spirit of himself. The Father, all that we need for life and godliness so that we can know his love, participate in his divine nature, share his love with others, and know and experience his love personally as well. We are literally being formed in the very image of the prototype, the firstborn among many brethren. He laid down his life for us literally and freely at a great cost to himself so that many would be protected, many would be saved, many would be set free, many would be healed, many would be delivered. And so the world would know that he sent his son and that he has loved us and he loves them. God never asks us to do anything. He does not give us the grace and the power to do. This verse John 10, 18, I love it. It says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life, and that they have it to the full. I like the Amplified version that says, they have it abundantly until it overflows. Yeah, Zoe, life, power, grace to live, to grow, to become, to thrive. Amen? We talk a little bit about the will. And... The will can be a tricky thing, right? I want to, I don't want to. Boy, I'm really not feeling this. We got flesh, right? I mean, Jesus was tempted in every way, yet was without sin. And we're tempted as well. John 10, 17 through 18. This is the only verse that I've ever heard Jesus, Father God, audibly speak. Okay? It was a prayer. The kids were quite young. They were watching movies. I had locked them out of my bedroom during my prayer time. I was in there for a couple hours and they had ripped all the videos off of the shelf. God love them. I just let them do it because I needed my Jesus time. And I was praying specifically about a church that I was at that was a beautiful church. They loved well the best 
they knew how, but there were very legalists there, a lot of religion there, um, had a certain way, you know, this is the way I go to church kind of thing going on, and I was so angry because uh, I was a new believer, and there were some individuals that were coming in that weren't quite dressed right, and some individuals in the um, singing group I was a part of was making fun of this new lady had come in and walked through the doors. She wasn't wearing the proper length of skirt. And righteous indignation just rose up in me. So I complained to the Lord about this prayer. And this is what he said to me. And we have to be so careful, church. We have to be so, so careful. This is the context of this verse for me. What he actually, what I audibly heard was this. No one takes my life from me. In other words, Stephanie, I laid my life down for them as well. They don't love me perfectly. They're not loving her perfectly, but no one takes my love from me. Like, stop talking about my kids. They are where they are, and they serve a purpose, and I have a plan for them. You hear me? It was almost like a rebuke. That scared me, because it came up from inside of me. And I didn't even know that it was a Bible verse until I went and looked it up a week or so later. But this scripture in John 10, 17, 18, has become one of my life verses because it's really all about the will. It's about overcoming. It's about victory in the midst of battles and in the midst of storms. And this is Jesus' secret. He says, the reason the Father loves me is that I lay my life down. Only to take it up again. No one takes it from me. No one takes it from me. In other words, I'm not a victim. But I lay it down with my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. Nothing happens to us that God did not know was coming. Now, I'm not saying that everything that comes at you or came to you was of the Lord, but the Lord did know it was coming, okay? Sometimes it's choices, sometimes it's the enemy. Sometimes it's the individual was not listening to the Lord, but nothing comes to you in your familial circle or your personal circumstances that God does not know is coming. And this is why relationship with the Lord is so key. We have to know how to hear his whispers. We're going to get to that in a minute. Not everything that happens to us was sent by God, but the Lord did know it was coming. We are faced with a choice of the will every single time encounter a problem or an attack. What is God's will? Lord already told us earlier. He said the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you may have what? Life. And life to the full. That's God's will for you. That's God's will for me. His will is right here in the pages of this book, the Bible. It's very clear, black and white. He tells us what he thinks about families, what he thinks about marriage. He tells us what he thinks about friendships. He tells us what he thinks about service, about worship. He tells us how he wants his church run. He tells us how he wants us to treat the poor, the widow, the orphans. He tells us all of that. He tells us how he wants us to pray. He tells us how he wants us to give financially. What is God's will us right here? The final question, the real question, is always this, because every struggle is really won or lost at the crossroad of the will. Will I surrender my will to God's will? 
piece. I shared this book with Jackson. I absolutely love Andrew Murray's book, Absolute Surrender. Changed my life. That one and humility. Absolutely changed my life. It really is. It's a book about getting to the place where at the point of having a crisis of a will in the midst of struggles or in the midst of life or in the midst of personal circumstances or job circumstances or ministry circumstances or whatever the situation is, COVID-19, we always say, not my will, but thy will be done. What is going to glorify you, Abba? What does your word say? Your word says, I shall live and not die. Your word says, when disease and pestilence comes against me, that you're going to take care of me. That's what the scripture says. That is what the scripture says. If you don't know it, go read it. Now, if you don't know it, you, you'll succumb to whatever the devil puts in your mind. The, 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 the enemy has come, the thief has come, that he may what? Kill, steal, and destroy. What's the opposite of that? Bring life and love. Amen. Give generously and sacrificially and build up. Those are the things God does. And when thoughts are raging against our mind and circumstances are raging against our life that are contrary to God's will for us, you've got to know it to align with it. Amen. Absolute surrender brings us into that place of perfect peace because we're in Him. We're in His will. We're saying, yes, Lord. I see all this going on. But I know what your word says about marriage. I'm going to stand. Yes, Lord. I see all these hot men floating around me. But I know what your word says about fornication. I'm going to stay in your word. Yes, Lord. I understand I would like to escape. Maybe that is for you, right? I want to smoke a little beef. I want to check out. I want to drink a little bit. I just want to check out. Chill. Have a day off. I don't have to think. I don't have to feel nothing. I'm going to check out my emotions. I'm going to check out these thoughts. But I know what God's word says. My body's a temple. Right? Those first ones can be something seemingly not harmful can become a weapon in, a, in, 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 the, in the midst of a difficult circumstance. Amen? Does that make sense? 100% of our experience depends on our perspective. Can anybody say amen? amen? This is the deal. Facts don't determine our perspective. Our focus determines our perspective. Fact. I was 40 pounds heavier six months ago. That's just a reality. Okay? Yeah, amen. Just a fact. But that didn't determine my circumstance. My focus did. I made it on my mind. It was time. I kept my eyes on the Lord. I did what I needed to do. I ate my shake. I drank my water. I weighed myself every day. I went for walks with the kids, right? Facts don't determine our circumstances. Our focus does. So I don't know what your circumstance is. Maybe it's a job situation. Maybe it's a ministry situation. Maybe it's a marriage situation, right? And there's all kinds of stuff coming at you. Whipping around your head. Accusations, lies, circumstances, individuals, discord, division, anger, rage. I don't know what it is for you. But it doesn't matter. Let it fly. You let it fly. You stay in Christ. Those circumstances do not determine who you are, 
They do not determine the outcome of that situation. They do not determine your ability to experience the joy of the Lord. The song of songs he talks about giving us dove's eyes that are stayed on him. And when we keep his gaze, when we keep his gaze, and we let him keep our gaze, a dove's eyes, I don't know if you know this, it's not like a pigeon where you can look both ways, they can see all around the head. But a dove's eyes can only look in one direction at a time. Okay, so whatever a dove is looking at, that is what they're focused on. It's sort of like if you heard a target fixation, okay, when you're in a high stress situation. That's why they do testing with um, the CIA and the FBI, the police and whatnot. They do that target practice where the different targets pop up in the military, especially the Delta Force teams and things like that. Because you can get target fixation. You get so in warrior mode that you shoot everything that's coming at you. You don't stay in that place of peace where you're looking to actually see what am I aiming at, right? Could be a kid with a bag of groceries. Oh man, hold the key, right? A librarian with a gun pointed at you. Right, they're all popping up all over it. Have you seen those movies where that happens, right? You gotta be careful. Target fixation, your eyes have to be on the Lord, on the truth, on his word. And then in every circumstance, whatever piece of debris comes flying around that corner in the center of this room, you're gonna see it for what it is. In the context of who Christ has said you are, and in the context of all his grace available to you in that moment, and in the context of God's heart toward that person or the individual with that circumstance and what his redemptive outcome is for. In the storm, when we're standing in it, we're focused on the Lord, on His grace and ability to keep me, and I'm focused on the reward set before me. There's always, always, always a reward. God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. And when we are faithful, He will reward us. He's a good Father. If you've had kids or you babysat little ones and they do something really good, you ask them to clean something up and they do a great job, don't you just, do you guys want to treat me? Come on, let's have some ice cream. You guys were amazing. That part of us wants to reward. We're made in the image of God, right? Or you've got pets, maybe you don't have, um, you don't have kids, right? Maybe you've got pets. It's the same thing. That dog walks next to you and then obeys or goes and gets the ball or protects you in a dangerous situation. You're like, come here, good job. Let me keep you treat. You are rewarded because we're made in the image of God, and that's what God wants to do for us. He wants to reward us. But the circumstances of the storm. That wind whipping around. When we focus on the enemy or the chaos and the fears of what it will cost us, of what will happen to me, it'll suck us into that circumstantial thought pattern in a hot second. And the next thing we know, we're getting beat up with all that debris going around and around and around and around again until we get our eyes back. changes everything. Being willing changes everything. Literally changes everything. Our will plus Jesus' grace equals obedience and ability to obey. It equals victory and it equals joy. So in every struggle, in every storm, there's this crisis of the will 
and our willingness to say, yes, Lord, not my will, but thy will be done. Plus, Jesus' grace to us and through us in the Holy, in our weakness, we are strong, right? Gives us the grace to obey. He gives us the victory in the circumstance, the kingdom victory, okay? I'm going to say it doesn't mean you're going to get what you want. But it means you will have a kingdom redemptive victory. And it gives us joy, the ability to be joyful. I wanted to talk a little bit today about what willing people look like, because I think sometimes it helps to meet that out a little bit, flesh that out, okay? So, willing people are people who are moving, they're pioneering, they're seeking, they're always moving forward, they're not stagnant. Willing people are growing people. Willing people are thinking people. Their perspective is changing. They can look back, if you're a willing person, or I'm a willing person, I can look back in the last month, two, three, six months and say, wow, I really grow in this area. Let me change the way I think about this particular subject or this thing. Can anybody relate to that, right? You learn to talk to us, it's okay. If you're a willing person, it's good. Willing people are enduring people. They're persevering people, right? In other words, every time a storm comes, they don't run. Every time a problem arises, they don't hide. They don't give up. They're not quitters. Right? They stay in it to win it. And willing people increase in joy. Because when they get in the midst of the storms and they surrender their will to the Lord, they do experience the, the joy of the Lord and the power to obey and the victory and the circumstance, the redemptive victory. So they realize over time that the cycle happens over and over again. Oh, I've been here before. I'm afraid I was last time. And I was going around the back and I saw those things moving around me and I was kind of scared about what was going to happen but then I trusted the Lord and he told me what the Lord said and I Surrendered my will to his, I aligned with him, and I had peace. And I had joy. And I was so glad that I didn't go down that road. Maybe like I had it last time, right? But that time I didn't, and I had so much joy. And the joy increases. We go from faith to faith to glory to glory. People are like, why are you so happy? You ever have people ask you that? Like, it's kind of annoying. Sometimes it annoys people. Okay? Like, get away from me. I'm like, you're too happy. I'm going to be like, No, we come another. Choose to take it anyway because we know and trust the one that we are following 
than we are living for his glory, not our own. We as women people, we value the reward or the immediate satisfaction of a storm ceased or a battle ended, so we press on, right? All the while, willing-hearted men and women become more like him because in and of ourselves we are painfully aware of the fact of what we are lacking and how far we fall short of the fullness of God's goodness, the fullness of God's period, just like that verse in Ephesians we talked about. So we live with Christ. We stay in Him. Willing people are strengthened as we remember and recount the perfect love of our Father and how time after time He has avenged us, He has defended us, He has confirmed our steps of obedience with signs and wonders and miracles and hands give us victory after victory after victory without fail. Amen? Sometimes we make up excuses and the enemy will try to throw excuses at us, right? Well, I'm not quite ready. I don't feel prepared. I don't have the right skills. I'm not the right person. I don't do it like so-and-so. Right? It usually comes in an I form or sometimes it'll come in a U form. You're not ready. Maybe it'll come through somebody else. You don't have the right skills. You don't have the right look. You don't have the right outfit. You don't have the right voice. You don't have the right whatever. You know? I'm not ready for this. I don't have enough experience. I'm not really willing. <laughs> I know that about myself, so I can't do this, right? When the enemy comes and says, I am not ready for this, Christ is our preparation. He has given us everything we need for life and godliness. And we talk about this all the time through our knowledge of him. And the more we step out in the faith, the more circumstances that come our way, the more we have to be still and remain in him and stay in the center of him in the midst of those storms, the more we actually gain a knowledge of who he is, experiential knowledge. There's one thing to be book smart. It's a whole other thing to step out on the front line and, and use the book smarts that you've been taught in the boot camp. Amen? You tracking with me? You get that experiential knowledge. You become a little bit of an expert. You know, maybe for a worship leader. It's one thing to go to school for it, right? And be real smart and know how the scales work and all the different nuances of it. But it's another thing to get up here and be able to flow with the Spirit of God. To hear His voice and to learn what that whisper feels like and how to shift and how to turn and when to be still and when to let the prophecies come and how to work with the people in the room and kind of get a feel for what's happening. You prophesy into the things that you sense and you know are going on, maybe in the city, in the region, in the state, as God always speaks to you. Amen? I don't have enough experience, the enemy says sometimes. You will never get it if you don't step out into the next thing God is calling you into. You've got to move. You just got to do it. Whatever door opens, go through it. There are no wrong doors. They'll get you back on track if it's something wrong. You'll know right away. You don't take much, you don't take long for sure. Sometimes we say, I know I'm not willing, I know I'm not willing, so I shouldn't do it. You've heard it said, well, do you want to? No, I don't want to, well, then don't do it. Right? But I think about Mark 9, 14 through 24, if you remember that man who had the son who had a spirit that was possessing him. Right? And the disciples had tried to cast it out. And they had tried to cast it out. And they had tried to cast it out. But they couldn't. They couldn't. Then the man asked Jesus to cast out the spirit. He said, if you could. Jesus said, if. If you can believe, 
All things are possible for those who believe. The man cried out, I believe, help me with my unbelief. And there's seasons, even when it comes to willingness, it's like we're willing, but we're not really willing. You tracking with me? Like, Lord, I want to want to, but I'm not quite to the place where I want to yet. So, Father, help me with my want to. I really want to keep the sin, but I'm not quite there. I kind of still like it. Right? But I want to want to. I want to hate it. I want to want to stop. Please help me with my want to. It's that same principle can be applied there. The Lord will help you with your will if you give you permission to. Because that in and of itself is an act of your will. And the Lord will never force you to obey you. But if you ask him to help you to want to, he will do that. He'll give you whatever revelation, whatever insight, whatever encouragement you need to humble yourself. It's always best to just humble yourself and do it anyway. Because sometimes the encouragement we get or the pressure that comes is circumstantial and not real fun. Right? Sometimes it's just better to just trust him and do it. But it is honest to have those conversations with him and say, I'm just being honest. And usually when we don't want to, we want to, but we want to want to, but we don't really want to, we're usually missing the revelation of how good he is. Or what the joy set before us is, or what the blessing in obedience is. We're usually missing something. And ask him to show you that. He will show you that. We just simply need to show up and be willing in any circumstance. You already have the victory the moment God gives you the word. Love him in his truth. Love him in his ways more than your own. If we are always willing to set our own ideas aside and do what the Lord wills, nothing will be impossible for us and he will use us every day of our lives. The key to Jesus' miraculous life was a willing heart. John 5, 17, he said, my father is always at work. Always. Not sometimes, not once in a while, not maybe once a week, once a month, once a day. Always. God always wants to do something. And to this very day, he goes on and says, I am at work too. I too am at work. And then it goes on in 5, 19, and says, very truly I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. Think about that. Think about that. Even Jesus in all of his divinity in the midst of humanity could do nothing by himself. He doesn't say he wouldn't. He says he could not, he can do nothing by himself. He was in the same boat we were in, guys. He can only do what he sees the Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son does also. What are some things maybe God has shown you to do when the enemy's been coming at you and telling you, no, you can't do that. You're not ready. Right? You're not ready. And you know you just need to step out and start doing some things. There are blessings to the willing heart. There are blessings that come to the willing heart. One of them is humility brings grace. The Lord says that he gives grace to the humble, but he opposes the proud, right? Humble yourself in the mighty hand of God, that if you see that he will what? Lift you up. 
it gives us the blessing of the lonely heart is that we rest, we get to rest from work because we're not striving and trying all the time to make things happen and wearing ourselves out. And everything is at work is actually really fun because we simply sit in him and receive all the grace and all the joy and all the power and everything we need to do exactly and only what he told us to do so we never get worn out. Whenever I start my hand, right? He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls, right? For your souls, your mind, your will, and your emotions will be at rest. They'll be at peace when we're yoked to Jesus, when we're receiving what we need to receive from him, when we're letting him minister to us, and then out of that place, letting him minister through us. So when that natural instinct to protect ourselves, to defend ourselves, to avenge ourselves comes up, he gives us the grace to rest. When we're trying to move too quickly, that yoke forces us to rest, right? Sometimes we want to get head up. Some people want to sit down and not move and not do nothing, and other people want to get head up. Well, I'm ready to do this. And he keeps us in that yoke. He says, no, I hear you. I hear you in time, all this time. That's what a yoke does. It yokes the young ox to an older ox. And he's saying, I'm gentle. I'm not going to run super fast and drag you by your neck so you can't keep up with me. And I'm not going to go so slow that you never get into the thing that I've called you to do. But I'm going to take you to the right place and I'm going to get you trained. So that by the time I get you where I'm taking you, you will be prepared in character. You will have persevered under character. You will look like my son and I can trust you with the hearts of the men and women. I'm going to have you serve me because the greatest among us is the servant of all. It's not about the title. It's not about position. It's about functioning fruit. It's about the fullness of God. It's about flowing, letting him flow through us. Amen? I'm preaching this up here. Anybody else so encouraged? Okay. I hope this is blessing you. All right, so I put together, this is the process. If, if I were to show you what the process of being in relationship with the Lord in the midst of a struggle so that you, in a moment of a crisis of the will, choose him. This is, this is what he showed me this morning. So first, we are faced with a struggle. It is our moment of weakness. We don't have whatever we need to do whatever it is he's asked us to do. Or maybe we do have it, we just don't realize we have it, or it just seems too hard, or quite frankly, we just don't want to do it, or whatever. Whatever the reason, there's a struggle. Step two, get a word from the Lord. Father, what is your will? What do you want me to do? And there are a lot of great circumstances out there where it's not spelled out in black and white. You want me to stay at this school? You want me to get higher education? You want me to babysit this kid, right? Those are things you can't go to page, you know, Isaiah 316 and find out if Lord wants you to babysit that little boy. You gotta learn how to hear from him. You gotta get a word from the Lord. You need a confirmation, right? And then whatever the Lord tells us, step three, we surrender our will. We say, yes, Lord. Even if it's something that we don't want, but Lord, I really want to take care of this child. I feel like I can disciple them. I feel like it'd be a blessing. But Lord, I really want this child. Lord, I really want that woman or that man. I know you made them for me. They're so beautiful. They love you so much. That's the one for me. And the Lord says, no. Right? We have to understand. God only says no 
when things did not be his best for us. He knows who you are. He formed you in your mother's womb. He set you in time, in this hour, in this year, in this decade, in this country, in this nation. And he has a very specific destiny and purpose on your life. And he only says no when it's not his best for you. And his plans are good. They're always good. Amen. So that moment when we surrender, we can literally rejoice and give thanks in that moment. Because once we hear the word of the Lord, the power is right there to do it. The power is right there to do it. Step four is receive his grace. Once the word of the Lord is released, this is my will. Once we know, the power accompanies the word of the Lord to do it. So it's just a matter of surrendering our will to say yes, Allah, and then stepping out, knowing that we know that we know. God creates with his word. He created the world with his word. So when he speaks it, you have everything you need to accomplish what he told you to do. And that fifth step there is then we experience joy. Then we experience victory. Then we experience thankfulness. And we get to start this cycle all over again with more confidence because we stepped out in faith and we did it the first time. And that next time we come around, it's not so scary. And we learn to trust him more and more and more. Just like the scripture says, we go from faith to faith. A new, a new faith, a new level of faith. A new level of glory, a new level of grace, a new level of understanding. And we can bring out some of the ones next to us that want to come up, right? Yeah, come on, you can do this too. He did it for me, he'll do it for you. I was scared out of my mind. Our weakness actually becomes an opportunity to receive more of his power. The world and the enemy will try to convince us that our weakness is the reason we're qualified to be used to the Lord, but it's not true. Our weakness is actually an opportunity to receive more of his power. So you'll see people in corporate context sometimes jockeying for positions, talking about resumes, pontificating, right? Taking up, I call it taking up space in the room. Look at me. This is who I am. Here's my resume. I know that. I have a bank account. I own a type of car. I have a type of house. Did you know this? I have a shoes. I'm not going to advertise what I do. That's what I use. Right? And it's all about the outside appearance and who they are and who they know and how cool they are. What group they're connected to. Right? But in the kingdom, it's all about taking off our mask. In the presence of his people, in the presence of the Lord, saying, shh. <laughs> truth is, I really want to burn her stuff. <laughs> or, you know, truth is, I got half a mind to call this person, and I need help. I'm feeling weak, so-and-so, sister so-and-so. I'm feeling weak, brother so-and-so. I'm feeling weak, Abba, in this area of love, right? And I need your help. And when we're willing to be transparent, when we're willing to take on our mask, when we're willing to embrace the weakness, it becomes an opportunity for more of his power to be poured out in us because we're in him. Paul said, I rejoice all the more in my weaknesses because in my weakness I am strong. That's right. In my weakness I am strong. So the next time the enemy comes at you and tells you, you're too weak in this area, you say, no. 
for the Lord they will make him stand. No the one before whom you stand. And in this moment when your life is absolutely worn out and he wants to quit everything and his spirit is coming after his life and trying to take him out, the Lord says, come and stand in my presence. Remember Elijah, my son, okay? New to the covenant now. My son gave you the ability by his blood and his finished work to stand in my presence. Stand up. Remember what I did on your behalf. It is finished. I'm enough. My son is enough. And then he comes out over the cliff and he does what the Lord said. He stands in the presence. Not, he doesn't just stand. He stands in the presence of the Lord. And the swords start to come. Step two. So step one, come and stand in God's presence. Step two, when those storms come, you just wait. You just wait. Don't panic. Don't run. Don't leave. Don't freak. Don't yell. Don't scream. Don't stop doing what he told you to do. You stand. You stand and you wait. The wind and the shaking and the earthquake came. And while the world may seem like it's falling apart around you, you wait and you stand. And the final thing was the fire. When it burns so bad, you think you can't keep moving forward without literally dying. Stand and know he's about to speak. When everything is going well, we cannot hear the gentle whispers of the Lord, but we are literally being trained in those moments when we have to stand to hear the faintest whisper of his voice. So when the storms of life are raging around us, we can still hear and recognize the Lord, the willing heart does us no good if God has to yell at us every time he wants to get our attention. Right? So imagine how a service would be that God had to yell at us every time he wanted to get our attention. You'd be up here playing worship, you'd be hollering, Lord, Lord, what do you want us to do next? Lord! Right? Someone comes running up out of the audience and hollers something at the front. I mean, it might be exciting, I guess. Right? But it probably would feel very interrupted, right? Very discombobulated or disconnected, right? He wants us to be able to obey the faintest whisper of his voice so that all those winds and whippings, that fire is burning you up. But you're so still, you're so focused, not on the facts, but you're focused on him, that the rage can be right in your face and you know that you know that you know. God said, he is good and he is. God said, he works all things together for good and he will. God said, he hates divorce and he does. God said, our my temple is the body of the Lord and I will protect it. God said, in my weakness I am strong and therefore I'm equal to any task. God said, I'm not making this up. In those moments in the storm, you know that you know that you know that you know nothing throws you off. What's interesting is you think that after that battle with the prophets, after being so worn out and so tired, and kind of having this cave combo with the Lord where he tells him to come and stand, he lets him rest, right? He gets him built back up, teaches him to stand in the presence, teaches him to hear his whisper. This is really just a series of storms on a mountaintop. He doesn't say, OK, 
okay, Elijah, it's okay to retire now. Although he, but he's in the background of the ministry. He says, I want you to go with some people. I want you to call up more laborers. In fact, he calls them up to a place of higher responsibility and says, it's time for you, Father. I want you to anoint this next generation. I want you to raise them up. I want you to teach them what I've taught you. I want you to let them shadow you. And the next time we see him, he goes to the other mountain. Where he, and, and this is the beautiful thing. We know Elijah was with him. All of them talk about how Elijah called him around, how he didn't want to leave his side. And uh, one of the promises when he asked um, to be the double anointing was that he said, well, if you're with me, where to go? Right? If you're with me, where to go, you're good. You ask a harder thing, but if you're with me, where to go? So in Second Kings, I want to say it's one. I think it's chapter one. They're sitting on the mountaintop, and there's a new king, Ahaziah. And Athaliah, Jezebel's daughter, who was ten times worse than Jezebel, by the way. So they're yeah, murdering people, worshiping Baal, doing what they're doing. You know, you got Ahab in the house there. I can just imagine Elijah sitting on top of the mountain going, Lord, is this time for the sinner or stop? And almost like the Lord saying, it doesn't stop unless someone stands. When the body of Christ is unwilling to stand, it perpetuates, but when we take a stand, the grace of God is loosed in the circumstances and the world has forever changed. Entire legacies and generations are shifted. And they sit there on that mountaintop, and Elisha watches Elijah in that moment. Not do a hand-to-hand combat with men, because the Hazia sends companies of 50 captains, a captain with a company of 50, to go get him and tell him to come down. He wants to talk to him. Elijah's like, well, you just, I can just see him like looking at looking at Elijah. Now I learned a lesson, son, a while back. You don't have to do hand to hand combat with all these individuals. It's this easy. I've learned who I am. I've heard the whisper of God. And he simply have to say, if I am a man of God, his identity was settled in the cave. I know. So therefore, it is as simple as decree. If I am a man of God, if I am a woman of God, let the fire of God come down and consume these individuals. Now we war not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers of wickedness in high places, but the same principle applies. If I am a daughter of God, if I am a woman of God, let the fire of God come down and consume these demonic principalities coming against me, coming against my family, coming against my ministry in Jesus' name. And I am, and he will, and it has power. And then there's a moment where they're sitting on the mountain. I can imagine Elijah going, woo, right? Like these people are burning up. Three groups or four groups, whatever it was, and captains are coming. Fourth guy gets smart. Third fourth guy gets smart. Please, please, please. Have respect for my life, he says. The Lord's like, oh, look at the humility. I give 
sisters, my divine power dwelling in you, working through you. You be new, see signs and wonders and miracles that other people are completely clueless. It is a privilege, it's an honor to be my child. So yes, I yield to you. Raised for original life. The second being married, the third being alone. Greatest privileges of my life. But I would trade all that other for more. For my first love. In a heartbeat. Because absolutely nothing compares to his glory, his goodness, and his grace. When we obey and when we love the truth, God is always, always glorified. John 7, 17 says, if anyone chooses to do God's will, then he'll find out whether my teachings come from God or whether I speak on the phone. And I kind of picture Jesus in the small hair of a smirk on his face because they don't really understand what he's saying. He who chooses to do, to do God's will, oh, he's going to find out real quick that what I'm teaching is not my own, it's from the Lord. Because it's going to take a miracle to get them to do what I do. A miracle of the will, a miracle in the spirit, a miracle in the soul. It's going to be an absolute divine grace upon them. And they will know that they know that they know that it was God that did this in them and was doing it through them. And not their own strength. You tracking with me? Because we can't do it on our own. Amen? We know who we are. He who speaks on his own, it goes on to say, does so to gain honor for himself, but he who works for the honor of the one who sent him he is a man of truth. And that's what you are. Those of you that are serving him so faithfully, you are men and women of truth. There is nothing false about him, Father God says. Why? Because we're not doing it for us. We're not in this for us. There is no hypocrisy here. Why? Because we do it all for the glory of God. And when we don't, we're quick to be honest about it. Right? But when you do things for his glory, for his name, you, it says you are a man or a woman of truth. If we want to access greater levels of glory, and we hear this a lot preached right now all over the world, we can only access those greater levels of glory as we surrender our wills more absolutely to the Lord. Mark 8.34 says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself, take up their cross, and follow me. Joshua told the Israelites this, and I think this is interesting because this is after they went in to take the land and they got lazy and they started to get into mixture. Oh, I get how this is done. I get how this works. I like this. I feel good about myself. I'm confident. And that's what we have to be most careful is when we're confident in who we are and when we have to be real, real careful. Joshua said this to the people. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day. In other words, make a choice. Who are you and who you want to be? Who you want to serve? Whether the gods of your ancestors, the way you did it before, that you served beyond the Euphrates, or the gods of the Amorites, and whose land, the kingdom land that you're living in now. But as for me and my household, in other words, it's like Joshua drew a line and said, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. That's how it's going to be in our midst. And I just was like, ooh. Yeah, sometimes you've got to draw a line, right? Not my will, the church be done. Jesus is in the garden. I'm covering that. I'm 
the closing. Isaiah 26, 3 through 4 says, You will keep in perfect peace. Remember, remember the storm conversation earlier. Perfect peace. Who? Who can stand the perfect peace? Those whose minds are steadfast. How does your mind become steadfast? Because they trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord himself is the rock eternal. Love that. You want the perfect peace of God. Everybody wants the perfect peace of God. In the midst of that storm, we do that with, by keeping our mind and our thoughts steadfast, by yielding our will. It's his, our will plus his grace gives us the peace, victory, and joy. That perfect peace because our mind is steadfast. Why? Because we trust in Him. Every time we yield and we will to Him, we trust in Him more because He proves Himself faithful every time. I had a picture we looked at at the beginning. What does peace look like that looks like nothing missing? Nothing missing because we have everything we need in Him. Nothing lacking because He provides it gives us the power and the grace and the provision that we need in every circumstance to do everything he's called us to do. And nothing broken because in our weakness we are strong and all we need to do is call upon his name and lean on his everlasting arm. In the storm, in the shadow of death, in the loss of our loved ones, in the midst of any trial, his steadfast love keeps us. Activation today. We talk a lot about activation here because it's important. Activation is the process of making something active or operative. It's important that when we come to church, we don't just come for a good time and hang out and kind of goes in one year and out the other because the point of gathering is the corporate body is that we're sharpened and strengthened and sent out with power. That we go from literally one faith to the next faith so that every believer gets stronger and stronger and looking more and more like him. Amen. Revelation, we think, brings responsibility because once you know it, Right? And you hold to a higher standard. So this activation piece is important because we've got to start walking it out. Take what we learned this week and let's start walking it out, right? Practice that piece in the midst of whatever small struggle comes your way this week, okay? We talk about the fact that spiritual gifts can be taught, which is what we're doing right now. They can be caught, which is what we did during worship, and they can be activated by faith, which is what we're about to do. We're going to release the prophecy and activate them. The process. Revelation can come through all five senses. Sight, smell, taste, touch, sound. Okay? You must know it. Interpretation is the key. Do not assume you know what it means. Not only do you ask the river of Lord, but you ask him what does it mean. Okay? So maybe you'll see a picture, maybe you'll have a dream, maybe you'll get a sense, maybe you'll smell a smell, maybe you'll taste a taste, maybe you'll have a vision, maybe you'll get a prophetic word from somebody. Ask the Lord what it means. Do not assume you have an interpretation. An interpretation is always better and more complete than the fullness of counsel in the counsel of men. Those for one person. Go to three, four, five people. Take their take on it. People you know, love, trust. People who are living in the kingdom, right? The righteousness, peace, and joy. Okay? It's really, really important. 
So check out the context of this verse. It's so beautiful. It's a song of praise. And it says, In that day, this song will be sung in the land. And I just released this over you in the land of Judah. God can so prophetically activate and release this song over you. We have a strong city. God makes salvation its walls and ramparts. Open the gates that the righteous nation may enter in in Jesus' name. The nation that keeps faith, and I feel like if you want to receive this for yourself personally, for whatever spirit of influence you've been given by the Lord, just go ahead and stand and put your hands out. Open the gates that the righteous nation may enter in. The nation that keeps faith, you will keep in perfect peace. Him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. And Lord, we activate a steadfast mind over the Christians in this nation and in the nations of the world. We activate angels to lose the increased trust in you in this nation and in the nations of the world in Jesus' name. It says, trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord, the Lord is the rock eternal. He humbles those who dwell on high and he lays the lofty city low. He levels it to the ground and casts it to the dust. Feet trample it down, the feet of the oppressed, the footsteps of the poor. The path of the righteous is level. Come on, somebody see that. That's for you. Oh, upright one, you make the way of the righteous smooth. I receive that one. Yes, Lord, walking in the way of your laws, we wait for you. Come on, somebody. Your name and renown are the desire of our hearts. I felt that impartation. My soul yearns for you in the night. In the morning, my spirit longs for you, my God. Wake that up in our country again. Let it be so in your people again, Lord. Let this be the hour when we long for you. We yearn for you in the night watching. In the morning, our, soul, our souls and our spirits long for you. When your judgments come upon the earth, the people of the world learn righteousness. That is what is happening right now in this COVID situation. Even in the land of the uprightness, they go on doing evil and regard not the majesty of the Lord. Oh, Lord. Your hand is lifted high, hallelujah. But they don't see it. Let them see your zeal for your people, hallelujah, and be put to shame. So I just lose the zeal of the Lord of your people here in this building specifically first in Jesus' name and in greatest measure. And to those in the corporate body of this region, in this city, in the next measure, for God. And to those in our state, in the next measure, for God. And to those across the nation, of the nations of the world, in the final measure. Let them see your zeal for your people and be put to shame. Let the fire reserved for your enemies consume them. Now, in Jesus' name, Lord, you establish peace for us. Hallelujah. All that we have accomplished, you have done for us. Oh, Lord, our God, other lords besides you have ruled over us, but your name alone do we honor. Hallelujah. They are now dead. Somebody needs to say they are now dead. That's a word. That is a word for some of the enemies coming against you in the spirit. They are now dead. They live no more. Those departed spirits do not rise. You punished them. You brought them to ruin. You wiped out all memory of them. You have enlarged the nation, O oh Lord. You have enlarged the nation. You have gained glory for yourself, and you have extended all the borders of the land. Lord, they came to you in their distress. When you disciplined them, they could barely whisper a prayer. There's a woman with a child about to give birth. Reads and cries out in pain. So were we in your presence, O oh Lord. We were a child. We weep in pain. But we gave birth. Lord, forgive us, Father. 
Thank you for listening today. Take a moment and ask Holy Spirit what He wants you to do with what you've learned. And remember, with God, all things are possible. So keep dreaming, keep praying, and simply obey. Because God is good, and He has good plans for you. You can subscribe to our blogs, learn about our speakers, and even hear from one of our team members how you can take part in transforming a city your city with Christ. There's no time like the present. Visit ShekinahOnline.com. If this doesn't excite you, watch for our new and God-inspired product line, a newly released book by Stephanie Butler, more testimonies from our listeners like you, working to bring unity in cities across the world. If you feel led to support our podcast, you may do so on our Shekinah.com website. Or if you would like to support us monthly, there is a link labeled Listener Support on every podcast. Until next time, we thank you, we love you, 
have a blessed day.